so we did have you know an eye on 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 the culture fit uh we also had an eye on bringing people who had a, a type of experience that was different from ours that was that could complement somehow with what we already knew and, mm -hmm. and we were aware that we knew uh little um or or too little to to, to proceed at the speed at the breakneck speed we needed to to proceed so you bring in expertise and then you have to keep in mind that once you bring in more experienced leaders let's say you know uipath post series a was trying to bring in people who had sort of series c series d experience in, in other startups if you wish right mm -hmm. so who, who had gone through the hoops uh, a few times with 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 other startups you value that expertise but then you also have to be aware that that, that experience um uh level right those people can come in and enrich your culture mm -hmm. so beyond the culture fit itself that you're you're looking for you're obviously looking for certain uh characteristics so we were looking for people who would have that dose of 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 humbleness that that was required to be able to operate within my path but uh you know people who were still eager to learn uh but also people who could bring something extra um to to the table Hi and welcome to Tech Talk. My name is Stefan and on this podcast I have conversations with founders, innovators and entrepreneurs in technology simply to learn and discover their journey of building a business in tech. Do you know the company UiPath? Of course you do. If you don't, after my conversation with Marius you will know a great deal about it. Marius Istrate, my guest today, was the chief people officer of UiPath between 2017 and 2020 setting up and running the company's people and talent function during its rapid growth from 100 to 3,000 employees across the globe and from 4 to more than 50 offices worldwide. Prior to his role at UiPath, he was the CEO of Skill Value, and today he is advising and investing in tech startups that wish to go global while partnering with venture capital firms to help accelerate their portfolio's growth. This is a conversation to listen end-to-end -end and discover some great insights from the hyper-growth of UiPath. Enjoy! Hello, Marius, and welcome to Tech Talk. Hi, hi, Stefan. Thank you for having me. Marius, it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to have people like you on the podcast that have generated and, and created such an impact in the ecosystem, you know, within, within your role. Um, and um, most probably many of our listeners already know about UiPath and the sounding success of the companies. And you were fortunate enough to be part of the hyper growth of UiPath, um, having the role of chief people officer a challenging role to have in such times of growth and uh, my question my first question would be what are some key areas of development you are proud of uh, you have built in the three years of uh, of this role as a chief people officer at UiPath so yeah indeed a, a very challenging uh, a very challenging time but a very fortunate time um uh, also to uh, to be there as as you already mentioned the period of hyper growth uh, so one of the major areas of development that I had to focus on was recruitment, uh, talent acquisition, 
Um, we had to build uh, a strong talent acquisition engine from, from scratch, put in place the right infrastructure uh, to, to attract and to, and to retain talent. Uh, so, you know, I'm proud to say that that was, uh, that was an uh, area where we as a company and we as a team um, uh, excelled, um, uh, I believe. But it quickly became obvious that beyond, you know, attracting the right kind of talent, the right level of talent, you also need to develop your, develop your leaders, uh, especially your leaders. You need to develop the whole talent in your, in your company, but especially the leaders to be able to deal and cope, if you wish, with this type of growth. It's not an everyday situation. Uh, so we had to put in place uh, a dedicated leadership development program that, you know, had various layers, if you wish, of, uh, of, of development and uh, in types of information for new time leaders, uh, first time leaders, but uh, uh, also for, you know, director level and above leaders in, 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 in the company. And, um, you know, I would say a third major thing throughout the whole experience was um, you know, how do you keep the conversation about the culture of the company and who the company is uh, alive? And how do you nurture that conversation in a, in a healthy way? Because in, in hyper growth mode, you have a lot of people joining. We had months or quarters when we had more people joining than there were people in the company. I won't say months, but quarters where, where, where this happened. So it's, it's difficult to nurture that conversation in, in, in the right way when you had many people in the company who after three months considered themselves and rightfully so as veterans in, 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 in UiPath, right? Because they had been there uh, longer than, uh, than, than many who were just entering the business. So I guess channeling that conversation and, and getting people to understand and to, uh, to understand the culture of UiPath and to live by the values we were promoting, which was or you know, humbleness, being being humble, but also being bold, uh, being immersed in what you're doing and being fast in, in, in what you're doing. We had to, to go through some strides to, to be able, uh, to, or to ensure, if you wish, that that people really understood what what this is a, what this was uh, this was about. That is the yeah. I already have some some multiple questions aside of what I've prepared for myself and for this conversation, and um, I would like to maybe highlight uh, the the culture topic that you 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 opened, the fact that I've heard that uh, Daniel, uh, the CEO of the company, has or had much of an impact or influence in the in the value uh, the the set of values that uh, UiPath has today as a, as a company how hard was to come to those values and did daniel had uh, such an influence on that because i know that he's a, a strong kind of culture um let's ambassador. say advoc ambassador and and yeah, yeah. and and uh, advocate Absolutely. And that's the way it should work, by the way. I mean, the founding team, and in this case, it was the founding team. It wasn't just Daniel himself, who drew lessons from the early days of UiPath. You might know the story that the company existed in a, in a, in a different form for uh, many years before the, mm -hmm. the, the seed round. So it's, it's lessons from those early days that had uh, informed what the UiPath uh, values were. Mm -hmm. But then what I really loved about the company when I met them in 2016 was that everyone was part of the team was an ambassador for for those values and you know uh, Daniel was the main ambassador or the <laughs> principal ambassador of those values and you know he would he would start that conversation about 
uh, uh, culture with customers, with partners, and with candidates. By the way, he was involved in the the, in the recruitment process. Um, I think up to 500 people. He 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 met everyone who um, who received an offer to start at at the QIPath, and he wanted mm-hmm. to have uh, to to weigh into those uh, into those decisions. And he was always such a great ambassador of those values and. The reason why he was a great ambassador was that he knew what he was trying to build as a company. So he had this clear vision, not just about the product he was trying to um, uh, to build, but also about the kind of company he wanted himself to work mm-hmm. in and he wanted others to uh, to work in. And also connected to the to the values themselves, um, bridging it into the the leadership kind of effort in uh, of recruitment how challenging or how did you manage this part of recruiting the right leaders let's say already existing leaders um how how challenge what was the kind of the challenge of recruiting within those values the new leaders in the company it was a, it was a very demanding uh, Task and you know we weren't always successful. Nobody is always successful with 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 a task like this. Um, so we did have you know an eye on 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 the culture fit. Uh, we also had an eye on bringing people who had a, a type of experience that was different from ours. That was that could complement somehow what what we already knew. And, mm-hmm. and we were aware that we knew uh, little. Um, or, or too little to, to, to proceed at the speed, at the breakneck speed we needed to, to proceed. So you bring in expertise and then you have to keep in mind that once you bring in more experienced leaders, let's say, you know, UiPath post series A was trying to bring in people who had sort of series C, series D experience in, in other startups, if you wish, right? Mm-hmm. So who, who had gone through the hoops uh, a few times with, 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 with other startups, you value that expertise, but then you also have to be aware that at that experience um, uh, level, right? Those people can come in and enrich your culture. Mm-hmm. So beyond the culture fit itself that you're you're looking for, you're obviously looking for certain uh, characteristics. So we were looking for people who would have that dose of of, of humbleness that that was required to be able to operate within UI path, but uh, you know people who were still eager to learn. Uh, but also people who could bring something extra um, to to the table, and uh, I think that's a, that's that's a key ingredient that a lot of people miss when they're scaling or where when they're hiring leaders post uh, a, a certain financing round or mm-hmm. relevant event for for the company. Um, people are not just coming into your company, whether it's leaders or not, but especially leaders, they're not just coming into your company to fit the mold. They're also coming into your company to make the mold better, if, mm-hmm. if, if possible. And this was part of um, sort of the three, uh, one of the three areas of development uh, that, that I, I mentioned. The third one, you know, keeping the culture debate and the culture conversation alive mm-hmm. was a lot about this, was a lot about asking not, not just do people fit 100% into what we already have, but also what are they bringing new or what are, are they bringing something that's refreshing or are they bringing something that's extremely relevant to what UiPath is, is, is trying to achieve? And sometimes the answer to that question was yes. And other times it was uh, not enough. It was never no, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you, you learn from everyone. 
sometimes though it, the answer was 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 not enough so you know the average life lifetime uh, of of an executive or leader in a in a fast growing company is 2 years yeah so you know it's not surprising then that some people did did leave after a, a couple of years something something that i uh, something that i caught my caught my uh, interest is and this you can this is something that you can confirm you said that you you were attracting people from experience or roles from a series C or D companies into at the stage of series A of UiPath and what i can see from what you were saying that you were kind of recruiting for the future so you were bringing in people from C and D so that you know they already went through those loops like you say mm-hmm. um you've brought them at series E so that they can let's say take the company to where they have been prior to that so i think that's uh, that's really smart and that's one thing that i've learned today <laughs> uh, that i can already apply well you know it's 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 i have to say it's to a, to a certain extent it's also daniel's merit because he was also pushed he was always pushing everyone in the company absolutely everyone to to try and think um two or three steps ahead so it was part of his if you wish strategic framework mm-hmm. to push everyone in the company to think a few steps uh, ahead and not just at our daily task or to do tasks or to do list if you will yeah yeah but this is a really good framework um that's a good work to to word to use a framework you know start you know do today with a mindset of two three steps further uh, you know specifically to this context of leadership uh and taking the company for example from a to c to d and so on But it is a key differentiator for for good CEOs and good leaders, right? Stefan, I mean, we know this from all sort of lessons whether startup or corporate that good leaders surround themselves with better leaders and with better people. That's one of their main traits. Just in the context of hypergrowth, this is what that meant, right? So this is not to say that somebody in a corporate role wouldn't be a, 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 a valuable person, right? They would be a valuable person, but probably not for UiPath post-Series A, right? The kind of value that an executive can bring to UiPath post-Series A or to company X post-Series A, right? Let's put ourselves mm-hmm. in today's context is somebody who knows what the next financing round looks like, what the next, you know, kind of um, um, product roadmap should look like, somebody who knows what what the next uh, you know landing in a new market should 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 look like right exactly I, i i agree and coming back to what you said at the beginning you know i mean where we started with the scaling of the company what made it easy to to scale the company like from an from an hr perspective right because you were responsible with that and we can we can definitely have a conversation yeah. around that like was it like um, you know uh, f- frameworks technology uh, processes so- First of all, Stefan, I wouldn't say it was easy. You know what I would I would answer by saying what made it possible. <laughs> easy, it was not easy. So <laughs> good one. Those three years were definitely the most intense of, of, of my life. And I joined as, you know, I officially I joined as employee number 100 or something. And first of all, you know, before I even joined, I, I had conversations with, with the leaders and with the team at UiPath about setting up the right kind of you know infrastructure to to, to scale. So, you know, having an applicant tracking system, uh, there was already an HR information system in place, but we didn't have an APS. Uh, you know, there was a tool to evaluate coders in place, but we didn't have, you know, 
much more in terms of evaluating people comp people's competencies uh, for, for various kinds of jobs. So setting up and integrating that infrastructure to make it easy to go through, you know, uh, the, the, the recruitment process itself. Second, um, second of all was, uh, and this is the reason why I, I believe Daniel ultimately wanted to have me as, as head of the people and talent function was that we had a very strong focus on employer branding and getting mm -hmm. our message out there. I loved this fact when I met UiPath and I had I, I met them post their seed round in 2016. Um, uh, there wasn't yet a, a, a huge amount of talk about the Series A, but I, I loved the, the fact that they could talk about what they wanted the company to be and what their vision was and what Daniel's vision was around building the, the, the company. So I thought, hmm, this is you know, finally a good use case to, to build a megaphone for in terms of, of, of employer branding. And, and in my first conversation, my, my first two hour conversation with Daniel, we must have spent more than one and a half hours talking about the employer brand. And I, I, I think that what I said to him that convinced me to, to start this journey um, was that you know, we can make UiPath one of the top five tech companies in the world if we set our minds to it, right? Yeah. Um, and I cannot sufficiently highlight the, 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 the importance of that. And, and once you start doing something like that, um, you, want, you want people talking about you, you want people talking about the kind of environment you have, you have in your company. It's, it's, it's really about building a megaphone, because right? I knew the virtues were, were there. I knew the values were authentic and they had been lived, lived by people, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't uh, BS uh, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. just put up on the wall to, to, to play nice. Uh, it was something that was, had truly been lived by people in the company and the stories were real. You could tell those stories. So how do you build that microphone? You know, you, it's, it's again, it's, it's a play on technology and infrastructure. And we were lucky enough to have, uh, you know, some suppliers, um, uh, help us help us through this, both in terms of building our employer value proposition, but also in terms of getting the message out there. You know, one uh, particular kudo for the winners of the UiPath Automation Awards in 2019, which were Smart Dreamers. They they are uh, a platform that that does precisely this: recruitment, marketing, automation, or employer brand automation, if you wish, mm -hmm. uh, which allowed us, you know, to to get our message out there at scale and on the relevant channels. Where, where we knew, you know, uh, people that we wanted were spending were spending their their time, and you reap the benefits. You know, if if I think about 2017, we were, you know, although we had some 400, 500 positions open at at the end of the year, we weren't attracting more than say eight, nine thousand candidates for those positions. Right mm -hmm. by the end of 2018, for a similar roughly similar number of open positions, we were attracting 10,000 people or 15,000 people. Uh, per what, per month? Per month, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Exactly, yeah, I know, right? That's a huge this number. Is, <laughs> that's a huge number for, you know, for a company that's uh, essentially coming out of Romania or, you know, with yeah. an initial footprint in Romania, India, and the UK, and that's, that's scaling globally. I remember, one of our board members, when, when they heard the number of people we had in our ATS during one year in, in 2018, I think that person told us that's the population of the, of the entire population of the city they were born in. 
right? So <laughs> they were asking us, how were we managing to, you know, to, to, to build that, that pipeline? Well, it's, it's not just the technology. You also have to keep in mind that we were growing rapidly across multiple countries. Yeah. So, you know, by the time I left, UiPath was present in 26 countries around the globe. So the effort was spread across multiple uh multiple geographies right uh but yeah this is this is this is how you do it right you, you take an engineering approach to it you build an infrastructure you build a mechanism that allows you to uh to 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 fail fast to fail first to yeah. fail often and then to repeat <laughs> the, the the good things that are that are working that's 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 just an awesome that's just an awesome story uh around how you've managed to scale the kind of the recruitment process and uh, by the way to all the listeners that are listening to to this episode we have um i have uh interviewed the ceo of smart dreamers so go ahead and look into the season one you can definitely have a convert have a, a listen to uh their story as well coming back to our conversation marius um yeah, I definitely believe that, you know, technology or an engineering approach to HR and recruiting can definitely help and, you know, um, you know, scale into such such a big number of geographies and um, scale a company in such a short uh, time frame. Um, and I would like to kind of um, weave in into the conversation to kind of the uh startups phase because i'm interested uh, on you know what would be the kind of the most common mistakes startups do at the scale-up phase and expanding internationally you being inside or being part of that experience and now you know having your both two feet in that part in the past and now you're having a foot in you know being an advisor investor and uh, being involved in startups what can you see that are some of the most common mistakes? Uh, I, I don't know if I would call them mistakes because unfortunately, a lot of founders don't even, you know, make the leap or, or uh, make that jump, right? Yeah, to to yeah. try and expand. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just lack of ambition, but that's not a mistake. That's just, you know, Agreed. you as a founder yeah. or maybe you as a team, you know, just, uh, being content with with what you're what you're currently doing, and you know, being risk adverse or judging that you know the business is producing um, good enough results, right? Um, and uh, you know, perfect is the enemy of good enough, but good enough is the enemy of better. So um, uh, you know, not thinking about doing more. Uh, but then you know, with people that do think about doing more, what I find most often is that they are not able to articulate a vision uh, uh, about uh, or around the kind of company they're trying to build. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of times, the, there is the this sort of founders bias that you know, I, my my product is good enough, hence my company is good enough. Why mm -hmm. would people want to join it? Or the product is so good. You know, when you hear founders saying the product is so good that I, I don't need to do marketing, you know, just customers will line up to buy it. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing when it comes to employer branding and talent attraction. They think the company is so good, people will just line up to, to join my company and yeah. all I'll have to do is just scream through the, through the hundreds or thousands of people wanting to apply to my company. And that's not how it works. The competition out there is fierce. And today, that's it's, it's furthermore, it's, it's a global competition for 
for for talent. You're contending against against everyone and against the big names who you know for for multi multiple reasons they they offer stability, they offer um, uh, security of, of of a job, they offer good pay, right? Which in today's context you have to admit is 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 a great offering, right? Exactly. Um, so it's it's becoming more and more. Uh, challenging to 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 convince people to join a startup. So so having this mindset of uh, you know I don't need to talk about this because people will just know because I'm so great or the company is so great is definitely not a not the right uh, not the right mindset. Now I'm I'm talking from a talent acquisition perspective, uh, but obviously you know there are other you know key areas. I briefly mentioned marketing. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of founders. That I, I talk to don't think of marketing as a critical function, uh, but there's obviously the sales piece, which which for me remains the most, the most you know to this day is the, seems to be the most challenging one for for founding teams and for emerging uh, emerging startups. How to figure out you know what does that flywheel look like? What does a repeatable sales model look like, and who can I put that in? And, and place with, but I will just say this about it, the thing that you will be able to do it with people over the phone out of, you know, Romania um, is, is, is just, or, you know, Bulgaria or Hungary for that matter, it's the same story. Uh, it's, it's just naive. It's just naive to say the, to say the least. Yeah. I'll, I've, um, I agree with you. I've met uh, multiple, um, let's say founders that uh, um, they, kind of go down the, this road of saying you know my product is good enough so i will attract people fast enough but um, you know listening to our conversation by now you can tell that that is not enough and you need employee branding you need marketing you need sales and all the let's say 360 degrees business departments or facets yeah. of the business that uh, to be built up and connected and work together right so um, I agree, um, and I think that's a that's a good good thing that you kind of spotted. And I think it's still, I mean, it's still pretty active in Romania, Bulgaria, speci specifically in kind of Eastern Europe. And I think um, pretty much needs just time and education. Um, oh, you'd be you'd be you'd be surprised to find it's not just Eastern Europe. I I invest across you know multiple geographies, France among them, uh, and you know. Um, it's it's beginning to change and it's probably changing faster than it is changing in Eastern Europe. But the problem mm -hmm. is present across across other uh, okay. uh, cultures and, and and countries. Also, this is not a Romanian problem or a Eastern European problem. It's more, as I said in the beginning, a founders bias sort of uh, type of you know. If I can c categorize it, I would I would yeah. fit it in there. Uh, Ra, since you're mentioning uh, you know founders bias and um, also. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you've mentioned, I've mentioned it, you started uh, to get involved in the Romanian startup ecosystem, but not only uh, uh, as an investor and advisor. Um, how do you see the Romanian startup ecosystem after the UiPath success? Uh, I get that question a lot. I'll tell you one thing that um, really, you know, touched me or, you know, really made an impression on me if you wish i've met people who told me they are they they felt inspired by by the story of uipath uh, hence they've they've started their own company and um and started building their their own company and it's always you know hearing that people felt inspired by something that you built you know it's touching it's it's it is 
So, you know, I love, I love seeing that. I love seeing that there's a higher level of energy, let's say, kind of post UI path in, in, in the ecosystem. And it's not just in Romania. I think, I think Bulgaria, I think other, other states here in the region feel that, you know, positive vibe. Obviously, Bulgaria had a sort of success story, not a similar one, but they had a, uh, a, a couple of success stories before. Um, I mean, you know, it's 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 great to see that higher energy uh, level, but um, at the same time, I am I am advising people, and I'm constantly telling them, you know, that the next success story does not have to be a UI path. I mean, that kind of mantra or uh, that I kept hearing in, in the first couple of years post UI paths becoming a unicorn was the next UI path or the next unicorn, the next UI path or the next unicorn. I don't really like that that expression. I think of building a great company is not about repeating the success of UI path and it's not about valuation itself. I think be building a great company is about you know, treating everyone fairly and with dignity and respect, your customers, your partners, your employees, your shareholders. Uh, I think it's about uh, adding real value to those around you and to the economy. Uh, I think it's about being empathetic and, and receptive and listening to, to people um, uh, around you in order to do more good, if you're already doing good, you know, uh, to do more good around you. So, um, I'm not trying to make this sound cheesy, but you know, business is essentially done with people. When, when you're saying that you have to sign a big corporate customer or a big enterprise customer, what you're, what you're essentially saying is that you have to convince a handful of people that you're worth it. So you know, don't forget that, that, that you're dealing with, with people. So I think that in the ecosystem, to come back to your question, once we have more founders and more business executives in general, you know, I'm not talking just about the CEOs and founders of companies, but more broadly about their leadership teams, once they understand this, um, I think we're gonna be able to take pride in more than just valuations. And this is, this is something that's highly important to, to the ecosystem. I think a great company can also be a 400 or $500 million company, right? I think a great company can also be a $5 billion company. I don't yeah. think there's a, there's a market cap on, on minimum market cap for great companies. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. So this is where I'd like to see the Romanian kind of startup ecosystem uh, heading uh, heading into because you know some of the other things that people um, often ask me like do you see more people being interested I don't know there's a critical mass of, of there's about the same percentage of people who are uh, risk taker enough who have a, enough of a risk taker profile to start a business around every country in the world and it's around two percent right mm -hmm. it's hard for me to Imagine that we're going to have, you know, five percent of the active for workforce in Romania starting, starting businesses, right? So it's I, I can't see that happening. I don't think we're going to see just a lot more, right? We're probably going to see more companies because we're starting from a low threshold, more companies starting, but I don't think we're going to see exponentially more companies, uh, more startups in in the tech scene in the in the next few years. However, we can. Uh, we can see more success stories if we adjust our lens to what to what a great company really is. Uh, I, I agree with you, and maybe in the in this in the same time, let's say I would 
um, idealistically disagree with you just from a perspective mm -hmm. of um, if the you know the stakeholder the ecosystem stakeholders you know you have governments you have accelerators you have um, investors and so on would in Romania specifically or maybe Eastern Europe would um, have or create the same voice the same unitary message that the infra this ecosystem has to have a framework that is let's say um potent for startups and growing exponentially the number of startups for example something that i was super passionate in in the, in the last months or even more is technology transfer something that uh and i've studied it from israel us and uk how they've done it and the numbers are just amazing i mean from you know uh i think it's one in 10 years they've grown they've grown from 300 and something startups per year to 1100 startups per year so that's 3x growth in terms of their startups uh you know generating startups and that was only technology transfer framework so that is just amazing for me yeah. and coming back to what i said just kind of to because i connected on that um i think if we would have you know these you know investment structures incentives for investors the technology transfer put in place um you know better education in terms of like we discussed right now you know when you know startup founders have these biases like uh, you know that the, the the product is enough no it's not a, not enough and you know educate them that you have to have marketing sales especially sales which which i you know rarely you see a company that has a good sales over here so I would definitely, you know, go about uh, go about so, that. Stefan, I like I like a good debate, and I think this is worth uh, a couple of minutes of, of our conversation. Uh, I don't uh, fundamentally disagree with you, but you know, you did ask me about the Romanian startup ecosystem, so I will come back and, and ask you a question. You know, mm -hmm. in the current context, with what's been going on around the world in the past one year and, and, and a half, close to two years, very soon, and what's been going on locally. Uh, in terms of political leadership and country leadership, you know, do you see a framework like this, a public policy framework of this type, possible? At these in in these times of uh, kind of in these times today, in these months, in the in the next couple of whatever, next couple of years, then, then yeah, from, until the next cycle of elections, right? From a from what you've seen and what you've witnessed. From a political perspective, yeah, for Romania, I think it's going to be hard because I mean the focus is maybe different uh, at this at this point in time. But you know, moving forward and you know, looking two steps or three steps further, like we we discussed uh, earlier, if we would have a mindset like that, thinking in generations or thinking in in the next five years, you know, thinking in 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 that mindset, uh, that's something that uh, would definitely be possible and. Um, I do not disagree with you. I agree with you. And just, you know, just to kind of go on the same framework to have something like, you know, a technologies transfer framework, a healthy one uh, in two, three, four years, we have, to, we have to start working now. So I would urge kind of the, the stakeholders and governments and so on to start working now on those frameworks. So definitely not possible today, but in two, three, four years, if we start working now, that's definitely something that we could achieve. Yeah, I don't know. I I I found that we're missing uh, sort of this this broad stroke agenda for where we want to be as as, as a country overall mm -hmm. in the next few years. So, 
uh, I, I, you know, I don't think there's enough focus on uh, sort of the startup piece to, uh, to to be able to articulate that. I would rather say what you know what we can do today is be scrappy and <laughs> and be be smart uh, about things and you know cultivate or nourish those opportunities that um, you know I'm, I'm talking from an investor standpoint right now because that's what I've been doing for the past year and a half or so you know nourish th- those opportunities that do have a, a shot. To, to the best uh, to the best of our abilities because maybe maybe something will be done three four five years from now I don't know it definitely helps if you've got more than just UI path when something is done if you've got a repeatable sort of story um, not in the necessarily in the sense of success but or or market cap as I said earlier but more in the sense of what constitutes a great uh, a, a great company and how we can make more of that happen. Yeah, definitely. I I agree with you. Um, And I'm going to stick to this subject um, a a bit longer uh, and specifically, you know, startups and the differences uh, between them Um, and circling back to the fact that, you know, you've invested in startups from countries like France, Estonia, Germany, the USA and even Romania, right? I mean, especially Romania. What are some kind of key differences um, you have identified in your due diligence um, as an angel between these startups, since we already talked like mindset and so on, what are some some key differences? I think the the major one is boldness, right? I mean, there are a lot of differences. It depends on but what I've seen in, for example, in Estonia, I, I work with a with a with a founder there and with a company there, um, and I've invested in them. Just the, the sheer boldness of it. I think the fact that historically they've had. Uh, you know, that kind of track record gives people more confidence. And this is not something that happened two or three or four years ago, like it did in Romania with, with, with the UiPath. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're just the sheer boldness of it. I, I, I love that. And I, and I see that in multiple places. Then if we're talking about the dark region, Germany, Germany and Austria and, and Switzerland specifically, this constitutes a very large market, right? So what I see in those businesses there, and something that I have come to understand, is that it's okay to address a local market or a regional market as long as that market is, you know, by itself a, a, a third or forty percent of what the U.S. market is, for example, right? Which is the largest kind of single or, or block, uh, single culture, or let's call it single culture, single language market in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've learned from you know startups in France is is that they know how to leverage public resources and, and public infrastructure and, mm-hmm. and public help for for what they're trying to do because there is a stronger and healthier kind of public policy ecosystem for uh, for them than than in other countries and um, yeah those are a, a few interesting interesting differences um, but then you know I, I like to invest. My preference is to invest in 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 business to business first of all uh, type of startups and, and second of all in startups that have a global perspective. So even when I'm talking about the startup in in Estonia or 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 the U.S. or Germany or Austria, what I tend to look for and something that's part of my my thesis is uh, you know for them to have a diverse team but a global reach. Right, uh, actually, a diverse team and a global reach—that's the correct way to to uh, to frame it and to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's exciting that 
you do have startups today, and this is comforting. This is going to be comforting for the Romanian listeners, I guess. You do have <laughs> startups in Romania today that have a global mindset and, a, and want to have a global reach. And I find that very thrilling and, and very refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm happy that, I mean, you know, the numbers are going up or... At least that's how I like to see it in terms of, you know, the news popping up with uh, new startups, with new funding funding rounds. And uh, those numbers are definitely helped by, uh, you know, platforms like Seedblink that, you know, you can, you, you know, that uh, startups can crowdfund uh, on them um, much faster than traditional, you know, fundraising rounds. So I'm happy, I'm happy about that. And definitely, like you said, you know, uh, startups in Romania are going to continue uh, being more, we'll, we will see at what kind of pace, uh, but definitely it's going to be it, it growing. Um, Marius, there's uh, already more. There's already more money on the table. I mean, this, mm -hmm. think about 2016 or 2000 or early 2017 versus today. Uh, I think very few of today's venture capital, uh, early stage venture capital firms, were around, right? Um, um, you know, we can we can probably dive into this and look, but I think, I do believe that very few of them were 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 around. And in terms of you know money raised, we're talking about a, a, a humongous difference, right? There's a huge amount of money uh, to be to be grabbed uh, today from these venture capital firms. Also, on top of you know financing opportunities uh, like uh, like like seedling, so. At least in this aspect, I, I think one excuse that we had, you know, prior to, to 2017, it, we had this excuse like, oh, there's insufficient uh, financing around and there's just, you know, maybe two dozen uh, business, uh, business angels that, tech business angels that are willing to invest in this kind of startup. So, you know, it's not worth the risk. Well, that argument is not off the table uh, right now. There yeah. is money on the table. There are, you know, I am part of an association called Tech Angels Romania. Uh, I don't know that it counted 200 members before 2017, but I'm pretty confident when I say <laughs> that today it does count more than 200 members, right? So that has also uh, that has also changed. Um, I agree. I've uh, I've heard uh, in the past that there is definitely more money on the table, um, and we can see even in the kind of the VC fund strategy of. Um, let's say uh, investment strategy when they uh, announce you, know, you can you can have a look on way they, on, on the way they communicate when they announce that they're expanding their investment strategy into neighboring countries to Romania like Bulgaria and you know other countries that means that you know in their um, in their kind of let's say uh, fund uh, they have to invest those investments by a certain date so <laughs> those money yeah those money have to be spent uh therefore you have to expand into other countries and this is telling me that there's not enough startups in romania so definitely I'm, I'm not i'm actually not sure how healthy that is to put a to put a deadline on when you have to invest that 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 money but i'm not i'm no expert right so yeah uh i uh, i'm not i'm not trained in uh, in the in the ins and outs the intricacies of venture capital or at least not yet uh, still, just as a personal opinion, I don't know how healthy that is, uh, and I do hope they have some flexibility to 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 negotiate because I really don't think um, that you can, uh, you know, it forces you to to maybe bet on some startup cohorts that might 
not be that strong for reasons that have nothing to do with your fund strategy. Uh, just think of last year, Stefan. It, it was a difficult year. So many people uh, were locked in their houses and we didn't see an outburst of creativity because people were anxious and scared and yeah. genuinely feared for, yeah. for their livelihood and for their lives. So you know, to kind of expect a strong cohort uh, out of an year when, when we had a strict lockdown and then several waves of 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 this pandemic uh, killing people is is I think unrealistic and and to put that deadline on spending money in a context in an out of the ordinary I, I don't think it's right even in a regular context right but I that makes it even more difficult or more unachievable I think in such a particular context as as we live today yeah yeah um, I agree and. Um... They definitely could be more flexible around those deadlines. And of course, I'm not um, knowledgeable in how you operate a fund, um, but uh, just from kind of sheer understanding and reading about it, I know that they they have these kind of deadlines. But uh, since we're talking about um, funds and we have, you know, we have uh, common friends at 3VC and I know that you today sit at the front line of kind of you know, innovation and screening new business models um, within your position as an investor, individual investor, as a venture partner at 3VC, you know, what are some key, you know, areas you're looking into? You've briefly mentioned some of them, but what would be like something more expanded? Like what are your, your key areas that you're looking into? Well, first of all, what I do as, a, you know, as an investor and advisor and also as a venture partner, not just for 3VC, but also for other uh, um, uh, friends, uh, you know, in the venture capital world, uh, I have kept in touch, and I do continue to work with, with you know, the, the funds, some of the funds that were part of the of the UI path story. Um, I am, you know, looking to see if founders have a growth mindset, if their lead, if their leadership teams have a growth mindset, and if you know they have what it takes um, uh, from you know from a human and talent perspective to uh, to go broader right than where they currently are to to go larger than, than what they're currently uh, doing one of the advantages that you have once you've been an executive in a, in a especially in a fast-growing company like like UiPath is that you have a network of contacts not just in the venture capital world but more importantly in the partners world right partners that you need for various, topics that pertain to your business's growth, whether we're talking about recruitment, you know, employer branding, finance, legal, uh, I mean, all the corporate infrastructure that kind of goes with growing your, 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 your business. So one of the key things I look at when I, when I talk to new businesses is do they have this understanding of the fact that they're not going to be able to do it on their own? Mm -hmm. You know, a handful of people out of it doesn't have to be Bucharest, you know, it's like place Eastern European capital name here. <laughs> do, uh, do they have the understanding of the fact that a handful of people from here will not know uh, how to, uh, by themselves, know how to build and scale a business in the United States, Western Europe and Asia, for example, at, at the same time? Uh, so that's sort of humbleness in, in front of the task ahead, if I may, if I may call it that. And then, obviously, in, in terms of areas I focus on, I don't refuse conversations with 
businesses that have a business to consumer model, but it's something that I don't I don't necessarily understand. So I I try to keep my mouth shut when it comes to giving giving advice to to companies who operate in a completely different model than 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 what I used to. I tend to favor companies who are in the business to business space, and I do you know. I sometimes get a knack. Uh, I've actually made a couple of investments in areas that are not business to business, but they are, if you want, you know, um, close to my, closer to my areas of, of passion or or interest as just as a human being and as a global citizen, like renewable energy, um, a little bit of the media space. You know, it's it's something I'm focusing on and where I'm trying to identify potential disruptors in the in the future. I just feel like. Uh, again, uh, after this past few years, when we've been flooded with, you know, all sorts of media outlets, media sources, types of news, in unverified news, uh, fake news, uh, news news, <laughs> no news. <laughs> I don't know. So many types of news. I just, I, I just feel like the domain is somehow ripe for for disruption. Uh, and yet, for some reason, from a technical standpoint, we haven't really had anything since the internet scroll, right? Yeah. Um, uh, or, or the paywall, paywall, or, or, or you know, innovations of this type. So there's, there's probably something to do in there. I, I don't know what it is, though. I'm, um, these are areas like media or, or renewable technology where I, where I don't go in, or renewable energy. I'm sorry, where I don't go in as an expert. I I'm, I go in as somebody who's eager to learn, who's curious to find out more, who's who's curious to hear, uh, you know, people's experience with their customers so far and with the technology they've built so far, and just their interactions so far with what what they've been like. That's just just amazing. I can just you know uh, we have so many so many common um, interests. Uh, you know things like media and renewable energy, um, something that we tackle as well in our startup studio. Um, in terms of what we're looking into, you know, building as new business models within those spaces. Um, and I'm happy that you've mentioned them also in the context of disruption. And maybe I would just like to maybe um, stretch that question even more of, you know, where do you see the next disruption to happen um, from, you know, from your experience, from what you've read, not maybe specifically specifically to what you kind of, you know, uh, do due diligence on, but generally. I'm, I'm not a prophet. What, what I've learned so, so far is expect things to happen where you where you have a complete blind spot where you don't expect them to happen, right? Like uh, even with the UiPath, had you told me in 2015 that you know large enterprises operate with so many inefficiencies kind of weaved into their 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 uh, not their business model but sort of their modus operandi, right? Yeah, their, operations. Their way of operating their operations, I would have laughed really hard, right? <laughs> but then I, 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 you know, I discovered UiPath, I discovered what they were doing, and I discovered that it, 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 it was true. And I think this was this was a surprise for many of us at, at UiPath. So people did not necessarily see that coming, you know, or like robotic process automation becoming a, a thing. I mean, I, some people saw it, right? And, and, and kudos to, you know, um, um, of course, also to UiPaths, 
competitors who kind of shaped the landscape before UiPath joined joined the the the, the match. And uh, but you know a key lesson there that you don't really know until you know. So my my best guess right now is that you know the we're gonna want to to reduce the amount of inefficiency in in several aspects of our lives um, in in the way we work and the way we interact with maybe with public authorities the way we interact with our leaders uh, i'm talking about the political uh, leadership of, of of countries and entities right uh, um, multi-state entities let's say around around the globe so I do some expect some innovation to happen in, in, in those areas. I'm I'm guessing it will be innovative when you know the historical perspective and how things have gone so far. I think it might seem less innovative when you when you look through the technical technological lens um, only, right? But um, let me give you an example. You know, there's this debate right now about the flat corporate tax that's going to be adopted around many uh, uh, in many countries around the globe right mm -hmm. most of the most of the developed developed countries uh, you know it it might seem strange but it's going to be a completely innovative thing to have a monitoring um, or 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 a mechanism a technological mechanism to uh, to to implement something like that and to monitor what global corporates are actually doing uh, and what they're actually owing and what they're actually, you know, making beyond their traditional balance sheets. And yeah. I know this sounds trivial, right? Like what, it's just a finance system. Like normally a finance system should be able to, to provide that information. It's not as easy as that. I think this, this, um, this uh, effort that we're, we're making towards a more fair and a more balanced world will, will require some, some technology that's maybe not innovative in, in, in just, uh, I don't know, uh, R&D sense of it, but innovative in the sense of how we deploy technology and get the best uh, out of it. So that's one area where I'd like, to, I'd like to see, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm too idealistic, but you have to be a little bit idealistic in, yeah, I agree. in this area of investment, right? I like something uh, to happen there. I, uh, I I like to I like to be idealistic as well uh, sometimes. And uh, yeah, I would uh, add only maybe one thing: transparency to what you said. Uh, I think definitely. I mean, specifically to the kind of the finance uh, part. Uh, like you said, it's not not nothing new under the sun. It's just gonna be more transparent and more easier to follow the money right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something, yeah something that yeah. maybe the corporate structures don't like but uh uh we understand them um uh i, I mean we understand how the kind of the, the the world operates um marius this was amazing and i've learned so many things from you uh thank you very much for joining for this conversation and hopefully our listeners uh chipped in uh and listened to your story at UiPath and your story today as an investor as and as an advisor. Thank you so much for the invite, uh, Stefan, and uh, I'm happy to happy to chat. And yeah, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, will people have some reaction to 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 what we discussed today? I'm 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 more than open, you know, to to our listeners' reactions. So you know, tag me on LinkedIn. 
message me and uh, especially tell me where you disagree. I'd love to hear uh, <laughs> what aspects people disagree because that's the best way to learn. Thank yeah. you. A debate is always helpful. Uh, so whoever wants to kind of reach out maybe to Marius and have a conversation on uh, on the topics we touched today, yes, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn and you know spark a conversation. So thank you, Marius, once again. Thank you. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you to everyone. I hope you liked the conversation and I hope you took notes. So remember to click that follow or subscribe button to get notified when we publish the new episode. Until next one, take care.